What's going on, everybody? Isaac here with Civil Engineering Academy, jumping on with another great podcast episode. Thankful that you are here. Hopefully, you're having a great day and a great life. Uh, today, I bring on Corey George. He's the owner of Pilot Engineering and Surveying. He is a licensed surveyor, also does has his PE as well, so kind of a dual threat there. But really, his bread and butter is in surveying. I wanted to bring on a surveyor and talk about survey information, how civil engineers work a lot with surveyors, how he started his business, how things are going, everything to do with uh, those things, kind of the direction of surveying now and where they're headed, and really uh, how you can uh, apply surveying principles and things you could do around your own home uh, should you need a good survey done there. So he's based out of North Carolina. He's won multiple competitions as he competes in a plat competition there and uh, just does a lot of good work. So Corey's an awesome guy. I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode. Uh, great surveyor, great engineer, and uh, it's good. it was a fun one to do. So with that introduction, we'll get right to our interview with Corey. All right, welcome to the Civil Engineering Academy podcast. I got uh, Corey on today. How's it going, Corey? Pretty good, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, it was fun to connect with you. Uh, I know you do a lot of surveying work and I thought it'd be fun to have you on the show. Maybe we could talk about a little bit how civil engineers and surveyors work together, but also you've got some interesting credentials I wanted to talk about too. So anyway, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, I, I'm happy to be here. Great deal. Um, before we jump into things, I thought it'd be fun for us to guess, uh, get a little bit more about your own background. You are an engineer and you do surveying. So how did we, how did you get into both of those worlds? I suppose most surveyors will say that they ought, they fell into it. And I probably am no exception. Mm. Um, attending engineering school, I went to NC State University. Uh, and while I was in college, I began to work for my engineering department doing research throughout the summer. And that most of that research consists, consisted of land surveying and, and doing monitoring projects of construction and, and this and that. And so after college, when I went to work for a small firm up in the mountains, the guy that I went to work for knew that I had done some surveying work in the past and asked me if I'd be willing to go back to school and get my license and kind of head up his surveying shop. And this is a small firm. There was only about maybe four of us full time. And so I went back to school part-time at night, got a four-year degree in geomatics from NCA&T University Online and obtained my licensure, um, very similar to how you get your PE licensure, getting work experience and passing the exams. Mm. How difficult was the uh, PLS license exam? How, how hard was that one? So the PLS exam was actually pretty hard, and it's it's hard because... Being from North Carolina, we're, we're traditionally uh, what's called a colonial state. So the original 13 colonies mm -hmm. plus Texas, those are our, our what do we call meets and bounds states. And so the rest of the country is public lands and the public lands are surveyed a little bit differently than meets and bounds or colonial states. And so the surveying exam, the fundamentals exam, for example, is still eight hours, but it consists of public lands and it's a national exam very much like the fundamentals of engineering exam. So it's a, a national exam. So, you know, you know, we're locally in North Carolina, you know, we, we know our rules and regulations and meets and bounds and this and that, but you also have to have a broad understanding of how the rest of the country surveys. And so in the professional exam, it's broken out a little bit differently, but there's still a national portion, which is 
the majority of the exam. And so you have to learn, you have to know a lot about the rest of the country in addition to your independent state. So the PLS exam, I thought, was actually pretty challenging. You know, and it, hmm. it's not the it's not the same as engineering where, you know, once you pass the fundamentals exam and the professional exam, you, you can, you know, pretty much get reciprocity in surrounding jurisdictions. Right. At right. least from for not not structural. Right. But, you know, site civil, which is what I do. It's pretty easy to get licensed in other states once you meet the base criteria. But land surveying is not the case. Matter of fact, you have to take an individual state specific exam in every state that you want to get licensed in. Wow. Well, that can be a challenge. Uh, is, I don't know the requirements for that, but if there are civil engineers that want to get that license because maybe they're headed in that arena for whatever reason, um, is that something that translates well? Do you have to have a, a degree like you got to get into the program? I, I'm not I'm familiar with the qualifications to take that. Right. So, am, but if an engineer wanted to do that, what what would be the steps for them to do that? Uh, and this is actually pretty common. So each state has their own kind of individual license requirements. It's not necessarily as broad as engineering. So in, in North Carolina, for example, you can have no formal degree, but you have to have, you know, maybe like 16 years or more of work experience to be able to even qualify for the exam. If you have a two-year technical degree, I think it's like eight or 10 years or something that you have to work before you qualify for the exam. So the four-year degree allows you to have less work experience to qualify for the exams. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's um, several universities that offer it online, obviously being an A&T geomatics graduate and a, a member of the advisory board at NCANT. I would recommend anybody check it out if you're thinking about getting licensing licensed as a surveyor. Uh, but but as engineers, it civils specifically, it really does translate pretty well to surveying. They likely had to have a, a surveying type class in college so you could kind of understand the basics of it. Um, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it than the one semester class that you had. But I, I certainly recommend it because it allows you to have a very good understanding of how the data that you design on is collected and you know the limitations of that data. And then when it gets translated into construction stakeout, you kind of, you, you have a good understanding of, you know, how things are really built and how things are really staked out and it allows you to design better. That's awesome. Well, I think that's a, a great combination to have. I know engineers and surveyors work very closely with each other, typically on projects. I think it's cool that you've got both of those licenses so you can see things from both kind of both ends of things. Um, tell me a little bit more. So now you're running your own business, correct? That's right. So how did you start running your own business? What what got you started doing that? Well, I'm sure everybody licensed kind of always has that pipe dream of one day I'll I'll do my own shop. And so my wife and I had kind of kicked the idea around for years. And um, we just got to the point where we worked ourselves in a good position financially. Uh, we have three small children, but we were able to, you know, there's only two things you can do, right? You can cut expenses or raise revenue. And so while you're not directly in charge of 
necessarily raising revenue when you work for somebody else, you can significantly cut your expenses if you're willing to do that. So we got ourselves in a good position financially in order to start this business. And we just got to the point one day where we had invested it. We, we went ahead and, and started purchasing surveying equipment um, out of our mm-hmm. savings account. And it got to the point where we had so much money invested. It was okay. It's now or never. And you pulled the trigger. So I know there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of engineers have this pipe dream of starting their own firm, getting their own gig going. Um, Imagine you've got a lot of advice about that, but did did you have a, a, a little bit of a runway then if you've been able to save for this or was it just kind of we've, accumulated so much equipment we're just going to go for this thing or or was there did you have enough kind of saved up that you you could run it out for a little bit and see what happens like i know that takes a lot of guts uh but you know it's very good it was gutsy for us uh we're we're a single income Uh, my wife stays at home with our kids right now so it was uh it was definitely a gutsy move um, but with this, we knew we we had planned for a while. We had strategized and minimized as much risk as possible. Obviously, there's some risk you can't minimize. But I feel like if you do it the right way, um, especially in land surveying, there seems to be such a great shortage of land surveying right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had we started our business um, debt free, which has been a, a huge blessing to us. Really, it's allowed us to wow. be. Um, pretty mobile. And um, we, we've hired some employees here now that, uh, you know, weren't in this industry before. And so now we're training them up to be to be field guys. And they're, I've, I've got one starting college in the fall because he thinks he wants to get his land surveying license. That's fantastic. Oh, man. So um, now that you've started your own business, I'm curious, like what what's been your favorite project? Has there been a favorite project? Uh, either in the past or even with your own business that you've worked on? It, the business is, is fairly young. Um, we, I haven't, I haven't even actually been doing this full time for a year yet. Um, oh, wow. And so, so we're still learning a lot. We started this. Well, we, we, st- we started to go live right when the pandemic started shutting everything down. And so we kind of put the brakes on it for a minute, just trying to see how it all, how all the chips fell. And when it was obvious the world wasn't actually going to end, um, we decided to take control of it. And so, uh, good job. It's, uh, you know, as as far as a favorite project goes, I've done some cool boundaries. Uh, We've done some, some really cool surveys up in the mountains of North Carolina, some really, really old, you know, some land that hasn't been surveyed in 150 years. And to go out in the woods and just, you know, beautiful green deciduous forests of the East Coast, um, you can see some pretty views. And I tell my guys that we're going on a treasure hunt every day because that because if we find the the missing corner, we're going to get paid. So enjoy it. That's right. That's awesome. So, uh, Corey, you also touched upon this a little bit as well, but is the biggest challenge that you're seeing in this industry of surveying just the the huge need for for more surveyors or what what are some challenges you see in the industry you're in? I would say especially locally in North Carolina, we have some some uh well, I'm sure the real estate market's crazy everywhere, but in Raleigh, Charlotte, um, yeah. And North Carolina, really, I mean, as a whole, there's a, a seems to be a tremendous shortage of land surveyors. And most of the guys I, I know around here, um, you know, most of the surveyors are either getting towards that retirement age. They're in their late 50s, early 60s and getting to a point where they don't really want to do it anymore. 
and and the guys that are out doing it full time are booked up. I mean, six, 10 weeks, 12 weeks before they can even touch anything. And so, I mean, even when, when we started our business here, you know, we just kind of made the assumption that, okay, what's well, going to take us a couple of weeks or it's going to take us a month or two to generate some business. And, you know, we were prepared for that. Um, but it, it was the craziest thing. We went, we, we put our business up on Google maps and we said we were open and we were, I mean, 40 hours a week, full time the day after and have not stopped since. <laughs> that's amazing. So definitely a need uh, yes. <laughs> out there. Um, I, I've noticed just perusing your website that you offer a lot of other services too. I think even outside of surveying, do you, was there a strategy behind that offering more services or do you find that, uh, you know, like niching down and saying we're basically specialists in surveying is, is the better route to go or what? Like, I, I noticed you offer a lot of different things. What was the mindset with that? Well, I think the mindset behind it was, um, for site design and for um, developers, which we do a lot of residential boundary surveying, uh, but we also do some site design. We've done some uh, some domestic water and utility work for a local hospital here. We're doing some large, larger subdivision, larger for here. Not you know, not not uh, we're not talking about taking out a thousand lots here, right. um, but uh, and doing some site design, some grading. Um, you know, some ADA stuff, just some straight site civil. And we, we offer a lot of civil engineering and land surveying different, you know, different types of services associated with that. And, and really, that's just out of my previous experience and what I feel like I'm competent at and what I'm good at. Hmm. That's awesome. So uh, how how important is surveying in our world? But. I tell people all the time, civil engineers, I used to have some EIs that worked for me at, at a previous employer and that your design is only going to be as good as the survey that is drawn on. So your boundary lines are critical. You have boundary setbacks, landscape buffers. You, you know, you have your um, your topographic survey. So those contours and stuff that we're laying our grades on when they go to stake out, you know, especially in ADA routes, right. Where, you know, we're dictated by a certain slope from the ADA code. And if your survey's wrong, or if there was a bust in something, and then you go out there and your design is super, super tight because let's, you know, let's be real here. All the good sites are taken. So all the designs are super tight. And when you go out there to stake it out, and if there was a bust in something, all of a sudden your ADA route might not work. And that could be catastrophic because you may have to raise or lower your finished floor elevation of your building, which is going to impact all of your site grading. So mm -hmm. I personally believe the surveying part is is the base foundation. And without a good one, the rest of it doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. It's I guess it goes with the, what's that quote, like uh, junk in, junk out or. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> forgot to say. But you know what I mean? Like if you don't have good data at the beginning your design at the end is just going to be junk. So uh, make sure you got good data. Uh, I work in the transmission engineering world and surveying is critical to that where we're doing construction staking. And oftentimes I'm noticing and, and through years of experience that what you see typically on a computer screen doesn't quite line up typically with way, you know, where the stake actually gets put in the field. And you yeah. often need to go see 
where that stake is to see what issues you got, whether there's something in the way, you've hit something, you need to move something, like all that stuff becomes very critical. So um, surveyors and engineers definitely work closely with each other. Have you ever had a bad experience working with any engineers? Well, most land surveyors will tell you when they've done any work with any civil engineer, general contractor, or any um, any involvement in construction whatsoever, and anything goes wrong, which it always does, there's always something that happens in construction that comes up and it's got to be fixed. The surveyor will tell you they are the first person blamed for everything. So, you know, if I had a nickel for every time some contractor told me they graded to the stakes i'll be rich sitting on an island somewhere <laughs> so uh, so double uh, check triple check your control i mean unfortunately we're in a cya uh atmosphere so um that's it's always yeah, the i'm sure you can spot, figure that acronym huh? out yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's good to know um <laughs> i i i uh you know, I, in my own work practices that I've seen, yeah, it's some sometimes it's something they say something was missed or they didn't catch it or, some, you know, all these things kind of come up. But, uh, you know, and I'm sure the surveyors are like, no, we we did our we did our work. So. Well, and sometimes some things happen, right? Some surveyor may not know exactly. They may not be necessarily educated on what the design is for. So some engineer may have just drawn an outline and said, hey, I need a topo survey of this. And surveyor says, OK, well, whatever. That's fine. The engineer, what, what the neat engineer needs to start communicating is what we're going to be designing, what the intent is here. If, you know, let's say that we're designing new and we're connecting into existing storm sewer, for example, and the surveyor may not go off site and collect the next structure down or upstream. So then we don't know the existing slopes of the storm sewer. And so we may not be able to accurately model the existing storm sewer. But if we just told the surveyor to go out there and, you know, topo the, topo the rectangle, technically he did what he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. The engineer should have communicated, hey, we need to do a, you know, a very detailed stormwater analysis here. You know, be sure and, and keep an eye out for anything that looks out of the ordinary or give us some good cross sections of the stream or ditch or whatever it is. And, you know, be, give, be real tight on the uh, inverts and stuff and pipe sizes because that, that kind of stuff really matters in, you know, detailed storm drainage analysis, for example. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in knowing what are what it's like the top three tools you're using right now. Top three tools for surveying or engineering? For surveying. Number one is my brand new off-the-shelf uh, Carlson BRX7 GPS receivers. I think these were just released in late 2020, and they are, I mean, the cutting-edge GPS receiver. It allows us to get shots in canopy cover that we never thought was possible before with GPS. And so that's uh, making us a lot faster and, uh, you know, time is money in this industry. Awesome. Um, um, any other pieces of equipment? Uh, the other pieces of equipment outside of that, you need a good metal detector and a shovel. Uh, unfortunately, or a good eye because, you know, a lot of these corners, some of these corners that we're hunting, um, they might be Hard sticking up six. They might be sticking up six or eight out, inches out of the ground, but nobody may have flagged them up in the past fifty years. So you know, when you're wandering around out in the woods and on a hundred acre tract, and that you know, 
you're hunting. I mean, literally, you're hunting a needle in a haystack. Uh, yeah. Some, I don't know how you guys find that stuff sometimes. <laughs> Some of the records are pretty vague. A lot we still see a lot of deeds and chains, and uh, you know poles calling for tree corners and things. And so oh, you know the, the the oak stump that was called for from the deed in 1890. You know that's obvious. That's long gone. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, we use a lot of lidar in our industry. Are you mm-hmm. using any of that? Um, have you seen the the want for that growing? What what's your thoughts on on lidar where, where, and where surveying's kind of headed? So lidar specifically, um, where I'm where my business is at, there's not a large demand for lidar. Um, mm-hmm. I still use it as an engineer. Uh, and North Carolina has really good publicly available lidar data, and so we use that to supplement topographic surveys that we do in site design to make sure we have accurate drainage areas and stuff like this. You know, draining through our sites. Um, I, I know that in the larger municipality areas, LIDAR consumption is a lot higher because they're a lot, they're able to pick up, you know, they're, they're able, and, and there's got to be some, there's some point of diminishing returns that has to be identified with the LIDAR as it relates to UAVs simply because of the data processing on the back end and the UAVs are flying so low, you know, relative to like an airplane, for example. Mm-hmm. So the UAVs are flying low, so they're having to take more passes, more photos. They collect so much more information. And then to process all that information, it takes somebody who really knows what they're doing. And you have to have, you know, really specialized hardware to do that. And so, you know, there, there's there's got to be some, uh, you know, acreage where LIDAR sur- surveys are very cost beneficial on size and then, you know, perhaps if you're trying to move towards LIDAR in general, you know, there's still some point where an airplane is still probably going to be better because of the higher altitude. Sure. It takes, you know, less pictures. It's, you get the same amount of data, but in less time. And then there's less processing because there's a little bit less data. So makes sense. In transmission world, we use LIDAR a lot because they'll, they'll fly these transmission corridors with the LIDAR and, and we'll get all that data to analyze all these transmission conductors yeah. uh, on these things. So we can analyze that and see, you know, if things were built the way they were supposed to, or if their wires are sagging and making sure we're meeting clearances. So LIDAR is used quite heavily in that, in that arena. So we um, use LIDAR a lot uh, at my former employer. We did a lot of utilities substation type work. And so mm-hmm. expansions of existing substation stuff, obviously from your perspective, the lines coming in are what you care about. But on the site mm-hmm. design, we care about where the equipments are, what distances, how close are we going to be to that equipment? And so terrestrial based scanning, um, which would be a type of LIDAR instead of aerial based scanning yeah. is, you know, is what we used in order to do work inside the substation because then we don't have to go inside the fence of an energized substation. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, LiDAR is pretty sweet stuff. And I know that's a lot of data, a lot of processing, but it's uh, kind of fun to hear your perspective on on that. So, you got to be careful with grass because LiDAR is going to bounce off anything, right? So if you got a four inches stand of grass, your ground surface is going to be off four inches. <laughs> Not good. Not good. Uh, well, this has been fun for me. It's been fun to hear your experience, fun to hear about how you started your business, fun to hear about surveying. Um, how, how can, uh, well, I guess that is there a resource that other people might dive into that you could recommend? 
anything on to, on your mind that people could learn a little bit more about surveying or there's really a Brown's anything. boundary law book for surveying. That's the first book that comes to mind because it gives you a lot of mm. insight on riparian rights. It gives you a lot of insight on, you know, adverse possession. People are always, you know, curious about adverse possession. It gives you a lot of reconstruction rules. And so if we find conflicting elements, if we go out there and we find two corners or we find no corners or we find, you know, old fence lines or something. And it kind of, you kind of get an understanding of the procedure we go through to uh, resolve, you know, kind of conflicting boundary elements. What's that one called? Brown's. Boundary Law, I believe. Brown's I can shoot you a link. Yeah, so I think that's the name of it. Yeah, let's. I I just have another question that's just coming to mind. But I know a lot of people, you know, they buy a new house, find out that some neighbor's fence is on their property. This happens every day. They call you guys up, probably. Yep. And and then what do you do? What happens? One. Why not get your land surveyed when you put your fence up? I, I mean, literally, I had two neighbors couldn't even speak to each other because one neighbor had put his driveway over the line but didn't get his land surveyed. And he spent, I think he said, like $10,000 on some concrete driveway. And when it, and they called me out there to come stake the line, and I just was like, look, I'm just the messenger here. And I showed him in the deeds right here's this distance right here's this distance. So uh, fences being over, we get calls about you know that's that's my number one question when somebody calls me about a survey is hey hey uh, you know I need my lines I just need one line located. It's like okay well it's hard for me to locate one line because you know who's to say the two corners I go out there or the two pieces of rebar whatever it is who's to say that those are in the right spot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm typically pretty has I, I don't generally even consider locating just one line without doing, you know, general a, a full survey because, you know, you got to make sure that the line that you're, that it's they want accurate. located is in the right spot. Yeah. And so we'll go out there, we'll locate fences, you know, typically encroachments or anything like that will be shown on the map. Um, and what they want to do with that map after that's really up to them. I can't, I'm a, surveyors are, are, generally fact finders. Now we're allowed to offer opinion on certain items, right? But um, possession, I wouldn't say is necessarily one of those opinions that we would offer. We would offer opinions on the location of the boundary line itself or a missing or lost corner or just, you know, a destroyed corner or something like that. Sure. So, so when we go out and locate encroachments, we're going to show it on our map. We're going to note it as required for, per our state standards. And, you know, we're going to inform our client and say, Hey, look, this, it appears that your such and such neighbor is encroaching over the property line. Here's the corners that we found, and this is the fence. And so they're over, you know, two feet or whatever it is. Right. And so at that point, we kind of turn it over to the homeowner and say, Hey, you need to go approach your neighbor and say, and and resolve this. And either, you know, one, they probably need to move their fence or maybe you'd be willing to sell them a little sliver or something, you know what I mean? To make nice. That's nice. I'm sure you've seen lots of scenarios and lots of battles over encroachments. Yeah, uh, I've only been threatened to be sued, I think, one time. Um, your, that was pretty funny. In your short business life already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm just the messenger, man. That's, that's the stuff that never fails. The guy, I mean, the guy came out there, I mean, this dead serious. Listen, my granddaddy told me 
the line was over there and where you're setting it's wrong. And I was like, okay, what, I mean, whatever you say, I've done, you know, hours and hours of records research. I found every property corner out here. To me, this is a routine corner set. I'm going to set this and go home. And it's just, just mind blowing sometimes. Oh man, I can only imagine. People, people get fired up over property lines. Okay, well, let that be a warning shot, a warning call to everybody listening. If you're getting a house or you're putting in a serv- or a, a fence, you get that thing surveyed. Yeah, you're you only going to get that opportunity to do it before you buy it one time. So there you go. Good advice. Uh, uh, the whole show, that's probably the best. Yeah. Take it take it home. So uh, this has been fun, Corey. Thanks for jumping on. Is there uh, What's the best way for our audience to get a hold of you if they would like to reach out, either ask you questions about surveying, uh, even employer services, whatever it is. What's the yeah, best way so, to get a hold of you? So my company's Pilot Surveying and Engineering. You can get me at www.pilotse.com. And my email address is on the website, but it's Corey, C-O-R-Y, at pilotse.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions or um, advise you or point you in the direction of a local surveyor if needed. Perfect. Well, thank you for jumping on. I really do appreciate everything you've talked about. I think it's been very enlightening. I need to get more surveyors on the show. I think it's been fun to hear about your experiences. I'm I'm sure sure that there's some good war stories out there. I'm sure there are. Anyway, thanks for joining and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.